Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Great to be back here on the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Some great things coming up on the show for you, so stay tuned. Here's what to know if you're in the C-suite about supply chains this week. So listen to what we've put in your business briefcase for this week. And in the business briefcase this week, we have all the things affecting supply chains around the globe. And so it really is your time to get that 20-minute update on everything affecting your business, or at least making you aware of things that could affect your business. So stay tuned. Well, today I want to talk about disruptions going on in supply chains. I want to build on last week's episode on volatility I also have something a little unusual for you today. I want to tell you about a book about John Hughes. He was known as the Iron Czar, and uh, that story will come up a bit later on. And I really just want to catch up with uh, a few important things happening in the supply chain. So let's get started. One of the things in the UK that's been around since 2016, since we voted to leave the European Union, is of course Brexit. And Brexit hasn't gone away. This week the government announced that they are likely to delay customs checks even further. They're pushing the timescale back by another nine months. I don't know how the European Union will feel about this, but I can't see it going down particularly well. So here we are nearly six years since we voted to leave. And what's been quite clear is the woeful lack of planning at every stage to ensure that supply chains worked as well as they should. We've introduced all kinds of friction into supply chains as a result of leaving the European Union, whether that was a right or wrong decision. But what's unforgivable is the lack of planning to keep things flowing smoothly. I know there have been other distractions during that time and the pandemic didn't help, but hey, it was pretty bad even before that. And now all we get from the UK government is PR exercises. They try to brush everything away under the carpet. And in the last year, in September, they set up a a cross-party committee saying that supply chains were a priority. The committee never met, which I reported in the news roundup. And then the Prime Minister set up a supply chain task force mirroring the Joe Biden initiative. And it was supposed to be chaired by Sir David Lewis, the former chief executive of Tesco. And I was fairly hopeful about that. I thought that was a good move. But hey, apparently Sir David Lewis never attended a meeting. So and that's gone. It's been abandoned. So I don't think supply chains are a priority. They're just a priority when it hits the news headlines and something goes wrong. But there's no clear policy on how to resolve the issues. And it's about time that we had clear policy on these matters.
The Northern Ireland Protocol was put forward as part of the Brexit deal, negotiated by the EU and the United Kingdom. It was a solution to the border in Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. So the goods going into Northern Ireland would have to be checked by Britain before they entered Northern Ireland. But once in Northern Ireland, they could freely cross the border north to south because the check had already been carried out. And so too, the arrangement would be the same south to north. And if goods went onwards outside of the island of Ireland and came to Britain, they'd have to be checked on the way in to comply with the change of custom regulation. Now, since that's been negotiated and enacted in 2021, a lot of people are unhappy with it, with that arrangement. And the government appears to be unhappy with the arrangement too, claiming that why should they have to check goods travelling from one part of the United Kingdom to another? But they did negotiate it, so uh, they should have thought of that one a little earlier. Now, the politics in this are complicated, and they want to negate the protocol, the UK government presently, under Prime Minister Johnson has suggested that they remove that protocol. But this is going to be extremely difficult, and it does go against the agreement that's been made. So this is another added complexity to supply chains in the United Kingdom between the UK and Ireland. I hope that's cleared it up for anybody that's not quite clear about the protocol and how it works. The protocol was designed to keep in place no border in Ireland, so the trade between North and South could carry on freely. And it was originally part of the Good Friday Agreement, the peace deal back in 1998, that there would be no border on the island of Ireland. So that's why we have the protocol. But of course, it now places the border between Britain and Northern Ireland, which is a little odd, given that Britain and Northern Ireland are part of the United Kingdom. So it was a compromise arrangement agreed by the European Union with the United Kingdom as part of the Brexit deal. And now the United Kingdom claims it's not working, people aren't happy with the arrangement, and they want to unilaterally stop the protocol. Last week I talked about volatility, the episode was on volatility, and if you haven't caught that, I'd go back and take a listen to that, because there's lots of interesting discussion on volatility in that episode. And I think volatility has been with us and higher up the agenda for the past few years. And it's not just the pandemic that set volatility going, set the hair running with disruptions in supply chains. It was in the United Kingdom Brexit and then later, of course, the pandemic. And there were other things, too, in the global supply chains that set disruption on its way. And one of them, of course, was the container box issue, the lack of container boxes all around the globe. And as they moved the container boxes around and they got stuck in ports due to various COVID restrictions, of course, the boxes never got back to the return base. And so there were lots of container boxes all in the wrong places all around the globe. And that really hasn't corrected itself because we still have port delays around the globe. And of course, ports in China such as Shanghai, have been closed now for a few weeks with the COVID restrictions there. So all these closures are having an impact on the price of those boxes because, of course, 
It's about supply and demand, and if supply is short and demand is high, then of course prices go up. And that's exactly what's happened with container boxes. They're now asking some ridiculous prices for those particular boxes. And of course, shipping capacity too is impacted as ships are stuck in ports longer. And the boxes, of course, are stuck in ports longer with dwell times and so on. And so we have a situation where shipping capacity is lower due to the pandemic and other disruptions, such as the war in Ukraine. And vessels aren't really able to travel as freely as they could just a year ago. And so we have that particular issue. And we've got shortages of particular items. We've got the summer period where prices of shipping and boxes are likely to increase further. We've got the likelihood of food shortages from the war in Ukraine in some major product categories, such as cereals. They supply around about 32% of the world's grain. So that's going to be severely hampered by the war. The disruptions, of course, that are caused by the war in Ukraine are quite severe and there'll be quite a downturn in global trade. Now, I want to tell you an interesting story about a book I read a few years back, and it's called The Iron Czar, The Life and Times of John Hughes. It's by Roderick Heather. And what's interesting about this book is that John Hughes was born in South Wales in 1815, and he was a Victorian entrepreneur, inventor, running a complex foundry in Newport by the time he was 36. And he then moved to London, where despite being only semi-literate, he became a very successful industrialist. In 1870, at the age of 55, he left his family behind and he sailed to Russia with 100 British workers and all the equipment to build a modern iron and steel works. The company he founded became an important foundation stone in the industrialization of Russia. As well as the ironworks, he built coal mines, railways and a whole town for his workers where he took a keen interest in their welfare. The town established was known as Huzovka and is now the modern Ukrainian city of Donetsk with a population of over one million. In the 1890s, the company was the largest steel producer in Russia because Ukraine was in Russia then, of course, employing over 10,000 workers and the town had a population of 30,000. The social interest and the business model that Hughes had introduced became an example that was adopted by other Russian and foreign companies that followed him to Ukraine. In the 20th century, despite wars, economic downturns, cholera epidemics, the town continued to grow. And by 1918, there was a population of 55,000, with close to 20,000 people employed by the company. The Bolsheviks seized all the company assets, and they pushed out the foreigners, and the shareholders lost everything and the name Hughes was largely removed from his initiative. It's a great shame. Hughesovka was renamed Stalino in 1921 and changed its name again in 1961 to become the Ukrainian city of Donetsk, with a population around one and a half million. Hughes had a hundred Welshmen in the factory that he took with him initially to set up the plant, and Hughes died in Ukraine, so he never came back to Wales. But it's an interesting story, isn't it? And I'm reminded of this story as I see 
the devastation of and impact of war in that area. So the steel industry, the iron industry, was started by a Welshman in Russia. That was an uplifting story I read a few years back, and it's a remarkable story of one man's interest to help people. past three weeks, Shanghai, one of China's key manufacturing and export hubs, has been locked down due to COVID. And that's closed factories. It's affecting supplies to Britain, Europe, and the rest of the world. And it's created bottlenecks in Britain, Europe, and the US. Congestion at the port in the past month has caused knock-on delays in all kinds of products, which include parts for phones, televisions, laptops, all kinds of consumer electronics, as well as other goods. And the delays are adding time to shipments for those ships that are sailing. Automotive parts, medical equipment and other industries are affected. About 500 ships are stuck outside of the largest container port in the world, and which is, of course, Shanghai. And that's going to continue for a number of weeks. These things can't just be corrected as soon as everybody goes back to work because it takes time to sort out the backlog. And it's the backlog that's a problem. And I also saw a piece this week about empty containers making their way back to China on ships out of the United States. And those ships were pretty full. Now that can't be very economically sound to ship lots of empty container vessels around the globe. When we talk about CO2 emissions and climate change, they must be contributing quite a bit to that uh, pollution. Exports from Shanghai to Europe are down about 70% on a year ago, which is quite a significant number. Delays are currently running at around 12 days or more from China to Europe. I went online this week just to check out a few consumer items that uh, online stores were retailing. And quite a lot of stock is not available. And it's showing times of new deliveries of certain items to be as high as 10 to 12 weeks from now. And that's significant because lots of those items are coming from China. So the factory closures in that part of the world are already adding to time. And now we have the shipping delays out of ports, which are compounding the matter. So significant lead times are in place. So we're unlikely to see a quick fix to this problem. It's likely to disrupt global supply chains out of China to the rest of the world for a number of months. If we put the China COVID situation alongside the war in Ukraine, you can see that there's going to be significant disruption to supply chains probably for the rest of the year. And that means that automotive manufacturers are going to be affected. There are going to be shortages of lithium and cobalt and so on for uh, electric vehicles. There's also going to be uh, shortages of other materials which can't be shipped or produced in reasonable timescales. And of course, when harvest time comes, it may well be that food stocks from different parts of the globe are going to be slower to be transported around the globe. 
So I think there's troubled times ahead. And if you put that alongside the inflation that we already have with rising costs, both in Europe and in the United States and other parts of the world, then there's going to be severe pressure on the economy. It's likely, according to the World Bank, that the United Kingdom is going to experience a worse position than the United States. Although the United States has significant inflation, it doesn't have the fuel shortages to the same extent or an energy crisis to the same extent that both Britain and the European Union are experiencing. So that's also adding to this severe impact. I read that in China, about 375 million people in 45 cities are in lockdown. So that's a significant part of the economy. You'll remember before Christmas that many retailers were focused on getting stocks into the stores and they were actually chartering ships to move their own goods and to fight against the increasing cost that they were experiencing on uh, third-party logistics. And that trend is still continuing. I read this week that Lidl have chartered three ships to move goods from China to Europe, and I would expect others to follow as the year moves on if difficulties continue. That's in addition, of course, to the retailers that have already chartered ships. Shortages of food fertilizer and the price of chicken feed means there's trouble on the farm. And just what do I mean by that? Well, of course, you will know that uh, egg production is under pressure. Apparently, it's now becoming quite expensive to feed chickens, to produce eggs. And, of course, fertilizers for all kinds of crops are not available. So it's likely over the next few months that uh, matters will come home to roost. Avian flu is another problem on chicken farms. Apparently their immune systems are not terrific when they're kept to produce eggs, and so they are likely to be more easily infected than birds outside in the wild. So that's another added problem. In the United Kingdom, the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, DEFRA, has said that uh, since the autumn, about 2.6 million birds have been killed by avian flu. That's either died of the flu or been culled because of the flu. In the previous year, there were just 860,000. It's still a big number, but not uh, the uh, three times the number um, since autumn. So that's an issue. Now, you probably realize that microplastics are a big problem. They're a problem in our rivers and our oceans. Now, it's one thing to be thinking about the problem of microplastic entering the rivers and the oceans via packaging waste and, and that sort of thing. But here's something you may or may not know, is that shampoos oh yeah, are regular, everyday shampoos, things that we use to wash our hair with, contain all sorts of microplastics. And these microplastics come in the form of microbeads. And the microbead ingredients will consist of polyethylene, and you'll see it noted on the contents list as PE, polyethylene, terephthalate, and that's PET, P-E-T, nylon, which is P-A, polypropylene, P-P, and polymethyl methacrylate, which is P-M-M-A. Now, all those types of 
plastics are in what we call the common micro bead. And that's in addition to all sorts of other nasty contents that might actually be in the shampoo itself. But inside the shampoo, these plastic beads are often used in conjunction with the shampoo. And I was surprised to find that uh, there's about 5.25 trillion pieces of plastic spread through the world's oceans. But these little beads are contained inside the shampoo. And so, you know, they're sourced, they're procured, they're in the supply chain, they're put in the product, and then we wash them out of our hair, down the sink, out of the shower, and they end up in the sewage system and eventually end up in rivers and oceans. So can't we just make shampoos without microplastic in them? Do we need the microplastic to be in there? I was surprised a few years back when I bought a particular shampoo, which I really liked to wash my hair, and it was a great shampoo. I won't mention the brand, but uh, I felt these little pieces of plastic in the shampoo, and I was really quite surprised. So I stopped getting that shampoo for obvious reasons. But, hey, it's a big problem. Sea animals ingest these little microbeads, and it affects their health, and it kills them. And all for clean hair. Well, we can get our hair cleaned without the microplastics. Thank you very much. Don't forget to join us for the Supply Chain News Roundup on Saturday at 12 noon. And if you haven't heard last week's Supply Chain News Roundup, then get on to it right away. See you on Saturday. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'm Tony Hans. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains, and we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon, all things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.